Hello and welcome to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I'm Ben. I'm Mandy. And you know something we don't do very often? Is uh, we don't just say, how are you? Like, how, who, who is the you in this? Are, am I the you? You're the you. I'm, I'm me and you're you. I'm, okay, I didn't okay, know if it was something of like, it was to the audience, in which case, like, yeah, well, I'd like to know how you are. Let's do that. Let's, okay, so I'm going to, I'll say how are you, and then we'll, we'll, we'll add a pause. We'll have a pause. We're just going to adore the explorer this We're going to adore this, yeah, we'll let the listener kind of make the, here's the thing, podcasting is a very one-sided, it's like listening to people have a conversation and you don't get to participate in the conversation. And what I'm suggesting... I also feel like I'm not participating in the conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry. My thought now, because originally I was just asking you, but you have raised a very interesting point of how podcasts aren't interactive. There should be a podcast where you feel like you're having a conversation with, with a beloved friend or two. I mean, I think that's... Uh, ASMR videos have really captured, captured that thing. And just like Dora the Explorer, we can do like a... Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Oh, were you talking to me or That's the... That's great. Okay. It is great. Today we're going to talk about the nanny. Does Dora the Explorer have a podcast? And if not, why not? Do you remember the period of time where Dora the Explorer was getting a rebrand? Was that like a big deal in the UK? Like I don't... Here? I mean, I, I will be honest with you. I was out of the key demo for, for Dora... I mean, and, I was, and her exploring ways. I was out of the key demo, but I had younger siblings mm. around the time my sister was like three or four. This was in, uh, I want to say like 2007, 2008-ish, okay. if I'm guessing off the top of my head. It might have been earlier. But there was a big deal where they were going to, uh, they were aging Dora up. And okay. they just had a silhouette and they were going to promote her. And everyone was like, Dora's a slut now. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I guess the like the actual thing that she has like one she has longer hair mm-hmm. like they were releasing like a like a fashion doll for her basically she had longer hair and she was wearing like a tunic and leggings because it was the mid two thousands and leggings we wore, were it we wore tunics and leggings yeah. and ballet flats but the silhouette only showed her wearing this short short dress and uh, people were like oh Dora's a little slut now. Okay. This was like a big thing where it was like, they're, they're making little horrors out of all of the little girls. I did, I'd be honest with you, that absolutely, f- I mean, in fairness, in 2007, I was busy immigrating. And in 2008, I was busy uh, getting over trauma. So that was a, I mean, really, I think I was doing that in 2007 as well, but not, uh, not as well. I, I feel like uh, Slutty Dora may have helped you on that journey. I don't have any memory of Slutty Dora, but in fairness, when there is trauma concern, I don't have a lot of memories of anything. So maybe Dora the Slutty Explorer. I want to I look, look up. When did okay. Dora get a rebrand? When was Dora? Are you just Googling Slutty Dora? Is that what is happening? I, I don't even know what I can Google. I'm Googling <laughs> Dora age up. Okay, uh, so she was supposed to be seven. Uh, in the original oh wait, no. show? Or? Yeah, so in the original show, she is seven. Okay. Um, she's 10 years old in Dora and Friends Into the City, which I guess is where the age up thing happens. Dora does turn eight in the show. I thought Dora was like five or six. I thought she was a lot younger than that. Oh, it was, uh, her tween look was introduced in 2009. Um, the show didn't actually happen until like 2013. Mm. Was it live action or animated? It's animated. I can okay. show you a picture of this is what she looked like. 
I have I have a vague memory of this. Yeah, of Dora the Little Slut. I so I the worked, little slut Dora. I did work at Disney at the time, and I think that we were. If you were, you were cr- high fiving because Nickelodeon introduced a little slut because they beefed it. No, um, yeah. So I worked at Disney, and if you were caught looking at anything by a rival network, you were taken into uh, into a secret cellar for re-education. I'm putting big sarcastic air quotes over re-education because it was just an Iron Maiden. It was just an Iron Maiden with an uh, at the time an iPhone, like the OG iPhone, and it was just playing a looping video of um, uh, Steampunk Willy. Steampunk Willie? Steamboat Willie. Steampunk Willie. Steampunk Steampunk Willie is something very different. You won't find that on on the Disney website. That is is a special Kingdom Hearts fanfic, (laughs) y'all. No, you should go to AO3 and Google Steampunk Willie and see what comes up. I feel like you kind of have to now. Oh my god. I I now feel uncomfortable that me calling a 10-year-old a, a little slut is going to be taken out of context. I want to reiterate that this is what other people were saying about yeah. the rebrand and not... She's dressed very conservatively. There's a lot to be said for the fact of, like, she is still 10 and they're making her look more adult and they have a, kind of an overfocus on making her pretty. Her head is smaller. Mm. Like, there there's a lot to be said of, like, you go to, like, fashion, like, glamour kind of things where it is a child there's no need for that but it was just a wild point in time where everyone was mad that dora might be a little slut it's one of those weird things and the art style as well very much reminds me of i don't know if you remember this but like i feel like it was 10 maybe 15 years ago disney started like aging down a lot of the disney princesses so they could do these like weird like toddler proportion dolls. Oh yeah, that's the what babies. That, that's what that art reminded me. Yeah, the babies. Well, at the same time, they redid all of the art for the Disney princesses and made them like more glam. Yeah, and they all got like lip injections. Isn't this also the time where they did that Disney princess two D artified version of uh, her from Brave? I forget her name. Oh, Merida. Merida, yeah. They did like a 2D Disney princess version of Merida. Yeah, they basically like, they did a new art style that yeah. they had for all of them. And it just looked very garish. It was bad. Because uh, they were just trying to unify all of the art. They were unifying the brand. And this is the problem is that a lot of those designs just don't look good in a unified art style. Like Sleeping Beauty in particular, that movie visually is so different from the other Disney movies of the time because of the art style. It was very deliberately trying to evoke a specific kind of... I, I know there's a specific artist that they were aiming for, and I can't remember the name of the artist off the top of my head because it's been a while since I watched those special features, but it was like a squ- more square, more kind of boxy kind of look, and you can see it in a lot of the background art. You can kind of see it in some of the character design. And when you strip that out, you end up. it kind of loses a little bit of its soul. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's kind of uh, universal. Yeah. <laughs> or I mean, that's what that's what Disney do. Let's make it all look the same. Yeah, and now the unique elements of each specific flavor are gone. You've homogenized it. You've turned it. You turned this into a Baskin Robbins of despair. Yeah, I mean it's better than whenever they try to do uh, fashion doll lines for the villains, mm. and they have the Ursula problem. Oh, the Ursula uh, we problem. We can't make a fat doll, but also, how do we do anything that she looks recognizable? So they'll either have two things: where the other uh, she'll be thin and unrecognizable, or there was one that they did recently where she still like has the same face model, and they changed the arms, but everything else is a skinny doll. Yeah, it's 
bad. Did, did, did we see those villain dolls at uh, when we were at World of Disney after our Disneyland trip recently? Um, I think they were like the boxes, but they yeah. weren't like out. Yeah. Hey, what do we do on this show? Uh, typically, we talk about the nanny. I already mentioned that. Yeah, the 90s sitcom The Nanny starring Fran Drescher and Charles Shaughnessy. Yes. And uh, the other guy. They did make the nanny dolls. I've, did I've they seen make them. the they, nanny they dolls? They made dolls. No. Yeah. That's bonkers. Yeah. That's peak 90s. Is it this this was this before or after the Spice Girls dolls? Uh, I don't know. Oh, you can get them like you got them on Etsy and eBay. Oh no. Ooh, it's a 1995. Oh boy. There's one for $35. Dear Lord, so how many can I put you down for? All of them, Benjamin. Oh right. Well, I guess I know what I'm getting you as a wedding present. Yeah, look at her. Look at her Let fucking me look at this hair. Over here. Is this legit? I have seen them before. I don't know if, like, I mean, that could very well could be a, uh... No, these are legit. Um, that face is not Fran Drescher. I'm just gonna go ahead and just straight away say that that face is... It's very 90s Sailor Moon American Dolls. Yeah. Not American Dolls a brand, but when uh, the US was making Sailor Moon toys and they looked like that. She looks like she's, if you look at her face in the box, she looks like she's trapped in her, in hell. This is what happens when you cross Gracie. Yeah. <laughs> when Gracie, Gracie doesn't send you to a cornfield, she turns you into a doll. What are we talking about this week? What episode did we watch? This week we watched season two, episode 16, Canasta Master. Unless you were watching on HBO Max, in which case it's a different fucking episode, I guess. What episode number is it on HBO Max? Well, why do I gotta do everything, Benjamin? I, my phone is all the way over there, and I'm worried if I move it, I will dislodge the microphone cable, because the cable's resting on the phone, and that cable does not like being who, moved. And who did that, Benjamin? Oh, only our good friend Benjamin Ulysses Pattern. Bup! Uh, so if you're watching on HBO Max, it is season two, episode 14. That's, I think we've been two behind for a while now for most of this season. Yes. Probably because of those two that uh, were added we'll to the end season of season one. one. Yeah. So we'll see. But uh, shall we get into it? We shall. Hey, so it's a cold open that isn't funny. There's no jokes in this cold open. No, they're just watching Gilligan's Island, and uh, the entire opening is, what if you were watching Gilligan's Island instead? Instead of the nanny, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to spoil this episode, but I did not have a good time. Like, uh, what did you think of this episode? I don't know, have a good time. I, I've i never seen Gilligan's Island. I think I would rather have been watching Gilligan's Island. Yeah, I didn't really watch Gilligan's Island growing up. The only time that I would see it, there were sometimes that Nick at Night would be doing like a marathon of Gilligan's Island, yeah. and the only thing that they would play was Gilligan's Island. But otherwise, I feel like normally it would be played so late in their lineup that I wouldn't actually see mm. it ever. Um, so it was just like those occasions in the summer, I remember, but I don't recall like any particular episodes. I know that there is 
the only thing that I know about Gilligan's Island is that for ridiculous reasons, they never get off the island, but there are special guests who come onto the island sometimes. And also there's like, there's a, sl- a slutty one and a pure one. And every girl is either the slutty one or the pure one. I, I've never seen Gilligan's Island. I My only exposure to Gilligan's Island was actually through Rugrats because I know that Angelica used to watch it. I, I don't remember the episode, but I remember Angelica sitting in what was supposed to be the dog, the dog's house. Um, which she turned into a den and she had like a beanbag chair and a little TV and she was watching Gilligan. I remember that. I can't remember the episode. I didn't realize it was Gilligan's Island, but yeah. I remember her like saying something like, oh, Gilligan or whatever. And I've never seen Gilligan's Island. But the the thing about the 90s is Gilligan's Island is to 90s kids what like Friends is to kids today. Only I don't feel like Gilligan's Island had the kind of cultural weight in the 90s that Friends still has now. Maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't aware of that as a kid growing up in another fucking country. But Gilligan's Island is one of those... It's just... It's that show people talked about that was on, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, it's basically on all the time, any channels. They probably don't do what they do with Friends now, where they speed it up slightly so that they can shove in more commercials, which makes it impossible to watch because all of the all of the pacing is ruined so nothing is funny and everyone is a very bad actor and they do the same thing with seinfeld as well when we watch seinfeld they make weird awkward cuts and it it doesn't it becomes it's not a show about nothing it's a show that was about something and that is now lost entirely it's just it's just gone. Yeah. If you have if you have been watching those on TV and be like, why do people think Friends were funny? Why do people think Seinfeld was funny? Uh, it's because you were watching with the pacing all fucked up. Yeah. We've, we've been talking for what feels like two short Ice Ages, and I don't think we've actually talked about what happens in no. the cold open. Um, so They're watching Gilligan's Island. Brighton I think that's as watch- far as we've got. Brighton is watching Gilligan's Island. Uh, Chester Meffel comes and is like, I, why is everyone watching Gilligan's Island? Fran comes and she's excited about Gilligan's Island because, ha ha, Fran likes older things. Chester Meffield is like, my boy should be doing a sport and be on a team that isn't a Gilligan Island. I want him, I want to reduce his screen time so, so we can throw balls at him. Why would you reduce his screen time? Just don't reduce, just moderate. Like, because the problem is, you, you, what you do is you, you boot up Gilligan's Island on YouTube and then you leave it and then suddenly he's radicalized and he's joining QAnon and he's wearing baseball caps that say, women fear me, fish want me. What's, what's the midpoint from Gilligan's Island to QAnon? Um, my, for some reason, my brain is saying the Tom Hanks movie Castaway, and I don't know why. <laughs> You're not wrong, though. <laughs> You're not wrong, the, though. The worst thing about Castaway is, is at the end where he's like, well, I'm going to deliver these fucking packages. Like, why? My, my dude, my guy, my friend, you have been stranded on an island for what I think is like three years I think you've earned some PTO. I think you've earned a little R&R. So my mom worked for FedEx and she was very excited when that movie came out because it's like, oh, I got FedEx in it. Um, is that what it, she was excited about? Yeah. 
straight up, that's the reason why, like, I saw the movie in theaters. I was like, a Lowe's kid, that's not an interesting movie for a small child to watch. I, I love that film. I don't know that I could have watched it at a young age. Yeah, when I watched that film it at a very out? young like, age. And that was horrifying for me of like, oh, that's where my mom works. My mom is just going to be on stranded on an island and she could die in a plane crash. Granted, my mom was like, she was the actual delivery person. She was not going on the planes. They don't, they're not going on the planes. Brighton, don't you have any interest in a team sport? Only as an owner. <laughs> yeah, it, Chester Mayfield has decided that what's sitting around watching Gilligan all day, it's a little gay. And it's, this is the, the, the subtext of everything that he's, he says and does in this episode is, I think my son might be gay. Let's not make him gay. Let's make him sports. Yeah, let's make him something else, because that works. I want to force my son to not be gay. <laughs> this is conversion therapy, the episode. It is a little conversion therapy adjacent. It's not that severe. Boy, howdy, it's not that severe. But it's... There's definitely, listen, if you have a complicated relationship with a parent who wanted you to basically relive their life or live like, live their dreams so that they can live vicariously through you, this is not the episode for you. This is, this is about, this is about a cycle of abuse is what this is. Because fucking Chester Meffield halfway through the episode basically says, I didn't like my dad. He wanted me to do things I didn't want to do. And I wanted to follow my dream. Well, this is a very interesting thing because they point out we are, we are going all around, uh, <laughs> jump into different things. But there's a point at which it is pointed out, hey, Chester Meffield, you're in theater. You're not in a very masculine industry either. And it's this weird kind of cycle of like, my boy's got to be a man, regardless of the fact of like what you're doing and shoving gender yeah. norms. It's okay. It's okay for him to do it, partly because he's successful and rich. So it's like, well, that's that's fine for you to be doing, but it's not okay for your kid to be doing something else. Also, it's weird that like Gilligan's Island is the first like effeminate thing that they point to. And again, I don't know enough about Gilligan's I Island. Maybe it is wildly queer. Ma yeah, maybe maybe it is more queer than the Golden Girls. Maybe that's the show, the sitcom that get that the queer community should be rallying around. But the cold open basically ends with Chester Merfield telling Fran, "You are taking my son to be pelted with balls, and it's going to make him straight." And that's, that's then cut titles. Nothing about the system. I heard a studio audience laugh. I have to assume it was under duress because there were no jokes in this opening two minutes. There were none whatsoever. It didn't feel like they were trying to make jokes. It felt like there was a reaction to jokes that we did not get to hear because there weren't any. I... I will give in fairness to this because it is very similar to what they do with I Love Lucy. And mm. I Love Lucy, those are jokes that I get, like they're riffing on the fact that they are like kind of like playing in that yeah. space. This one, they're not going as hard. It's not as obvious. They're not being stranded on a desert island. But there are some things where and they kind of lampshade the fact that they're basically doing a plot of a Gilligan's Island episode. Yeah. But because I lack the awareness of Gilligan's Island, that's kind of missed. So... The thing that is highlighted is Chester Meffield uh, being homophobic toward his not gay son. Yeah, this I definitely think this was another, like the I Love Lucy episode that they did a couple of episodes ago. I feel like this is them playing in a space, but it's one that we are not as familiar with because we're so far removed now from Gilligan's Island, even as a kind of retro kitsched kind of like you, Nick at Night show. Yeah, even just as a thing of it's not on. 
Yeah. It is not a I've thing that was on. I've never seen an episode of Gilligan's Island. I've never even seen it listed on like Cozy or anything like that. Yeah, which is weird. Like I don't, I don't even know like if any either of my siblings have ever watched like an I Love Lucy thing of like how at what what point that also goes away if it goes away or if that is enough of a cultural mainstay that like the importance of it s- sticks. I still see it when I'm whenever I've had to stay home from work. Whenever I had to call in sick or I've had a day off, and I decide to like. Let's go on YouTube TV and see what, you know, the boomers are watching with their broadcast television. I Love Lucy's still getting shown on on some networks. I don't know that Gilligan's Island is anywhere, except there's, it's probably on a streaming service. It might be on Hulu. I know, like, the Bob Newhart show is on Hulu, for example. What the fuck is the Bob Newhart show? Yeah, fucking yeah. I'll tell, you know what? Friend of the show, our, our friend Ryan, tell him you said that. He will make you sit down and watch the Bob Newhart show. I thought you were going to say he will punch you in the face. He will punch you in the face, and then he'll make you watch the Bob Newhart. Anyway, we've not even touched on the narrative of this episode. So basically, they go to the, the, the batting pit, which is a real thing that Americans have, and it fucking blows my gourd. But we don't get to see that. We get to see them going... Because that would be expensive. Yeah. No, we get to see them going to Sylvia's place afterwards. And Sylvia's kitchen has doubled in size. It is the whole... Like, season one, we got a whole apartment set for Sylvia's apartment. Season two, it's the kitchen and a cellar that didn't exist in season one. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, we're in the kitchen. It's yeah, still- it's this very big room and now it's a table, but I feel like it makes more sense now. Like they're going to have more kind of interactions there and that yeah. also makes it easier for them to not show Fran's dad yeah. without him just hiding in, in a, a bedroom. Room. Yeah, he can be in the living room watching TV and we just don't see it. But also I feel like the narrative of this episode necessitates it because every when, when Fran and Brighton show up, Yetta and Sylvia are playing Canasta. Now, Canasta, I thought, uh, was a scrolling shoot-em-up for the Nintendo Entertainment System uh, from the same team that made Gradius. No, it turns out Canasta's a card game. Yeah. It, it might also be a sugar-free alternative to cola. Can you verify that one for me? No. No? Okay, all right. So the jury's still out on whether or not Canasta is, is, is that, consumable. Is that, are you talking about Shasta? Maybe. I, was, I think mostly I was leaning towards Tab? Tab? Yeah. That's not anything like the words you were saying. No, I think I was aiming for... You know what? We don't have to disassemble my joke. We're here to disassemble the nanny. Put it back together. No, that's <laughs> Gracie's job. <laughs> that's between episodes. Gracie's just like moving her hands back and forth like Tom Cruise in Minority Report, just like exploding and rebuilding the characters in the nanny. Like Chronotis or whatever her fucking name is, the end villain in Mortal Kombat 11 doing a fatality, just like pulling a person. Anyway, that's a reference that no one who's listening to this podcast gives a shit about. No. So they get there and Fran is talking about how Brighton took a ball to the uh, to the body. He got hit by a ball. And in, in, in a ball. He got hit, hit by a ball in a ball. It's balls in balls. It's balls within balls. It's balls all the way down. He got whacked in the mean bean machine with a with a baseball and walks in. I The one thing this scene needed is when Brighton walks in kind of cupping himself and whining. I wanted him to walk over to the freezer and pull out like a bag of broccoli or something. Like I think visually that would have been good. Yeah. But I feel like S&P would have looked at that and gone, we can't have a young child implying he has testicles. <laughs> Um, we just can't do that. I want, you know, the I want. The boy can't have balls. I want Fran dressed. You know how Alex Hirsch did that video of S&P notes that he got from Disney while he was working on Gravity Falls? 
I want Fran, Fran Drescher to do a video like that about the nanny. I desperately want to know what the S&P notes were yeah. for this. Yeah. Anyway, so Sylvia and Yetta are playing Canasta and Brighton sits down and joins in and immediately picks up the game. Uh, he, he's a Canasta master, which I think might also be the name of the show. Uh, no, sorry. sorry. <laughs> the name of the they the, the, changed the show's name. It's now yeah, purely about they this. They reanimated going the title sequence. It's about Brighton being good at Canasta. Yeah, he gets he was he was pitching in a batting cage in Flushing Queens when he got hit in the balls and then was good at cards. Executive producer Fran Drescher. I think that's the opening title sequence yeah. now. They also point out, so I guess they're they have a Canasta team that yeah. is supposed to be going to Atlantic City, but their fourth player, Gertie, has left for Florida. She's bought a mother and daughter condo in Florida. Yeah. I don't know why I said it like that. Yep. I was just trying to put emphasis in a different place in Florida, like Flo Rida. But it, what it did is I, I was aiming for kind of a Matt Berry. And what I ended up with is a weird kind of middle, Euro, like mid-European accent. So that, gi- give me Matt Berry saying Florida. No, I, can't, I very clearly can't do it. Uh, what about, what's the other voice that you do? What's the other? The- Moss from the IT crowd. The tough voice. Oh, uh, I was going to say Vin Diesel. It's not Vin Diesel. Vinnie Jones. Or no, the other one, um, Jason, Jason, Jason Statham. Statham. Hello, it's me, Jason Statham. I've been on the podcast before. Hello. From Jacksonville. Say Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Jacksonville, Hertfordshire. <laughs> Don't say Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire. Don't. You ever listen to Chilton FM? Oh, it's not called Chilton anymore. I think it's called Art. It's called Art FM in Hertfordshire. Shit. It's not called that because it's in Hertfordshire. It's because it's owned by a media conglomerate called Art. Called Art? Art. Heart. Art, like it will beat us in your chest, like dub 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 in art. Heart? Jason Statham. Statham? Statham. <laughs> Jason Statham. See if you can keep up with me because I have a tendency to play too fast. I know. <laughs> wow, B, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like that. So, Brighton, it turns out, is very, very good at canasta to the point where Yetta and Sylvia reveal, well, we have a team. Like, they fucking Nick Fury this boy. They Nick Fury a boy. Yeah. He says, yes, he'd love to join the team. He's excited. Like, and he's he's excited because he knows his dad wanted him to join a sports team. And what is Canasta if not a sport? Please tell me, Mandy. I genuinely don't know. Is it some kind of, is it a brand of soap? What are we looking at? I don't, I, I, I don't know. But we go into the next uh, sequence. Uh, we are back at the Chester Mayfield home. Brighton is very excited because now he is in sport. He's in sport on a technicality. <laughs> and, in the way that poker is a sport. And Fran is very worried because she has to tell Chester Mayfield about uh, the Canasta team. There's a great bit here where she approaches Niles with a hypothetical. If you only had one son and he decided that he wanted to play on my grandmother's Canasta team, how would you react? <laughs> Oh, I've got to be in there for this. So they go into the room and they uh, bust the door wide open and Cece is on that couch. They've always had the couch there, but she's just like lounging on it talking. And they beat her in the face. Well, before they actually go in, there's a little scene that is just Cece and Chester Meffield where Cece's like, hey, your butler wants to kill me. And Maxwell's like, it's probably just the wind. It's like he absolutely dismisses any, like... 
He's he's not one of those hashtag believe women people. It's like this is a this is a woman, a business partner, dare I say a co-worker, a colleague, possibly friend, question mark, and she's coming to you with a concern about an employee. Hey, I think your butler wants to do a murder. I think he has it in for me. And Maxwell's response, Chester Cunningham Meffield. For that is his legal name, I have decided. It's probably not. Probably something funnier. He said, you are imagining things, you dumb bitch. At which point, that's when the door busts open, Niles flings the door open, and gives Cece a concussion. In fairness... In fairness... That mostly seems like an accident. Uh, I do think that... Yeah, that bit... Here's the thing. It was an accident, but she's not wrong and this is also the first time she's like i feel like she spent the last season and a half possibly longer because she's known chester mayfield for a very long time and therefore has probably known niles for a long time too this is the first time she's mustered up the courage to say hey something is wrong in the maxwell house i do not feel comfortable with a member of your employ one of your team one of your staff makes me uncomfortable. And Chester Meffield says, we're not allowed to talk about Gracie like that. She will, <laughs> she can hear us. This is not a safe place. The, the walls have eyes, in some cases, literally. And CC says, no, I'm talking about Niles. This is a Niles problem. And Maxwell says, M- Niles wouldn't hurt a fly. And Cece says, I'm a person. <laughs> they they come in and Cece is, uh, first she's passed the fuck out yeah. because she has a concussion. Oh, yeah. And they're all like giving her shit like, oh, she's just napping in the daytime. Uh, and Cece wakes up and she's like, they hit me. They caused me harm. And Chester Merfield says, oh, that's ridiculous. He's on the clear on the other side of the room, you dumb bitch. And then they all high five. <laughs> and Fran pulls out an electric guitar and does the solo from Freebird for 17 minutes. It's actually very well. I didn't know she could play the guitar. Yeah, so that's the episode. That's it. Uh, what did you think? It was a very good solo. I didn't think that it would go that long and still like be amazing all the way through. Uh, and yet. And yet. So Fran is breaking the news to Maxwell that Canasta is happening. Yeah, and this is how we know that this is written by Americans because uh, Chester Mafia was like, well, what sport is it going to be? Is it, is it soccer? Is it hockey? And not, I feel like there is a well-made joke here of you have him ask, is it football? Is it hockey? Is it American football? That's just a little. I f- yeah, I feel like you could have had, you could have done a fun like who's on first football confusion. Yeah, or like, and even just kind of a thing of like him asking questions, and he like starts off football and he gets hockey, and then they're making a face, yeah. and then it's like he just says American football, kind of like off and be like, haha, the British person doesn't like American football, but they didn't have that. He didn't do that because no. he calls it soccer. He calls it soccer, and there are no further discussions about it. We've spent more time talking about it than they even thought about it in the writer's room i'm sure he's incandescent because he he's already concerned that gilligan's island is making his son gay and now he's joining a canasta team and will be wearing a polo neck shirt with his name on the front 
and the name of the team, which is the Flushing Queens on the back. Oh, it's not the polo neck shirt that he's worried about. It's the it's the pink bowling jacket. That happens. He ends up wearing a pink bowling jacket. In this scene, it's descri- this is the thing that got me later when they're wearing the jackets, because it's described in the scene as a, I think they just said polo shirt or bowling shirt. They said they ex- bowling shirt. They explicitly reference a bowling shirt, which is then not worn, it turns out. The, the costume department went with a flamboyant jacket instead, which I'm totally cool with. It's a great jacket. I want three of them. He's, he's, Chester Meville is so fucking angry. He's so angry that his son is going to play canasta. We should get satin bowling jackets to say Flushing Queens and have her names on the back. Oh, God, that would be delightful. That's, I would wear, listen, here's the thing. If someone gets us those between now and October 1st, that's what I'm, I like, fuck the suit that I've already bought and paid for. That's what I'm wearing to our wedding. I'm, that's, that's the end of it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to find out this way. <laughs> So what happens next? Chester Meffield is horrified and is all yelling about, oh no, uh, my son is going to play a card game that we have decided is effeminate because it's play with a bunch of other women. There's also an aside about like, oh, it's only women on the team and therefore it must be bad. And Fran comes back with what you can't tell because of hormones. And uh, it is a great tangent on the side of like, oh, we're all cool with hormone replacement therapy. There's a lot of talk about hormone replacement therapy because we're talking about old cis women. Yeah. And it is okay if old cis people need hormones. What this put me in mind of is the people who say that like getting gender affirming surgery isn't is against nature. And whenever I see people make these arguments, I want to snatch their glasses off of their face and snap them in half because- well, glasses are not natural. You're not supposed to have glasses. Do you have an AC in your car? You're not supposed to, you know what? You're not even supposed to have a car either. Fucking walk. And even if someone's saying like, oh, but that's, I'm talking about surgery. I'm talking about, cut, about cutting you open and changing things. But okay, I hope you're not getting heart surgery then. Do you need a new heart? Have you had a, like an append- appendectomy? Do you have any, have you ever had surgery? Have you ever had to have like a bone set? Like- Fuck me. Anyway, so that's 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 a conversation that the show decides it doesn't want to have because it's 1995, I think. It's just weird to be on a show where they're like regularly making uh, reference to estrogen pills and stuff, and it is a totally normal thing. Yeah, provided it's old cis women. Yeah. Yeah. God, this is sounding worse by the minute. So I think the next is the next scene, the kitchen scene, or is the next scene when they're back at. Sylvia's kitchen. And then they're back playing. at Sylvia's kitchen. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of kitchen scenes. The, let's we'll we'll blow through this because it's there's not a lot to dismantle in this episode. It's a very by the numbers. It's a very autopiloty kind of episode. So they're playing canasta. They're talking about going to Atlantic City. They're talking about the event. They're talking about how Yetta always marks the cards with like Smucker's jelly and chocolate. We watch her doing it with like a like a Hershey's bar or whatever the fuck. It is in this conversation that. They dis- they discover that Greta was that her name Gertie Gertie Garbo Gribble Dale, Dale Gribble has returned from Florida because he thought he had an inflatable alligator in his pool. Turns out twas not inflatable. And pocket sand doesn't work on alligators. Pocket sand does not work on alligators. Pocket sand don't work on gator. Say that in as maximum Florida as you possibly can. Pocket sand don't work on gator. Perfect. So she came home. Fuck the condo. That's a lot of money to spend on a condo and then decide you're going to move back to Flushing. But hey, <laughs> I didn't write this show. I don't care about the internal logic of people who, I guess, don't have money or do have money. Who cares this shit? Anyway, so it turns out someone's off the team and, and Fran's really upset because like, she really went to bat for Brian. It's going to break his little heart. But no, Fran. 
Brighton am not one who leave team. You am one who leave team. And now Friend's entire attitude has changed because she was really gung-ho about Canasta and about Brighton being on the team. And now she's been cast out and suddenly, fuck them Canasta bitches. And fuck Canasta generally. Yeah, and fuck Atlanta, uh, Atlantic City. Fuck Atlanta. Fuck the, Atlantis. Fuck the lost city of Atlantis. <laughs> what about the tournament? I thought you were thrilled to be going to Atlantic City. That pit? Oh, God, I can feel those capillaries tightening at the base of my skull. <laughs> so the next up is a bit that we already talked about. So it's Chester Muffo coming down and uh, being like, Oh, I can't believe Brighton's going to do the canasta. I hate the canasta. And I was like, oh, like how your dad was so supportive of everything you did. And Chester Muffo was like, no, he wasn't. He hated everything because I didn't do what he wanted me to do. That's a flawless, oh, flawless... Uh, Oh, Just right. method impression. I see the dramatic irony. <laughs> yeah, that's what Chester Mayfield sounds like. Yeah, Chester Mayfield is upset that his son is not doing something manly. And as Niles points out, musical theatre is not particularly manly in the 90s. Yeah. This is also, I believe, the scene where Cece is just talking on the phone with someone. Yeah. Um, and it is her telling her mother that she needs to fire the maid uh, and Niles is overhearing this and so he just like fucks with her. He ties a whisk to her scarf. Yeah, after uh, using it to clean things. She's got this kind of long red Camilla Khan uh, Miss Marvel scarf and he just like just gently knots a whisk into the end of it. And she she plays it fantastically because she's on the phone. She's talking about, I guess she's going to go see lunch with somebody. And she's like, and I look so hot and I am so fire and fashionable and it's great. And then she walks away and the whisk kind of like catches and bumps into it. But because it's behind her, she does like a little like 360 turn trying to see uh, if something's wrong with her outfit. But she can't see it. And she 360 no scopes the... The whisk in she that does she does no a 360 scope. and cannot scope the whisk <laughs> and then she leaves and then she's just here's the thing there's a perfect moment there for Niles to talk about how she's really gonna make a stir on the on the dinner scene tonight and no one makes that joke but and no, it upset it's because it's just a delightful little visual bit right there i know you did not like this episode i feel like a lot of the cc bits she oh, yeah. gets like a couple little like uh bits in this episode but they're very good like visual yeah. stuff and so anyway so this is the scene niles and chester mayfield have this conversation chester mayfield finally accepts i'm gonna let my son follow his dreams and that is when fran comes in and says hey fuck them canasta bitches yeah she's very upset because they cut her from the team she was immediately crying and chester mayfield is consoling her and be like, well, we're still going to go to Atlantic City. She's like, well, I don't want to go. And it's very much a like a five-year-old having a tantrum. I think that's very, very much the vibe they were going for here. You, you mean my son is on the team and you're not? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's all right. He finally gets her to calm down because they're going to go see people whose name I have already forgotten. Bebop and Rocksteady. Steve and Edie. Steve and Edie. Steve Lawrence and Edie Gorm. I don't know if it's Gorm or Gourmet. I don't. Uh, Let's go with Gourmet. Gorm- it's weird because, like, they're in the episode, there is just like this whole little gag once they're actually there where they're looking at the poster and Fran's like, oh, it's sold out. And they turn around and there's a big clap because it's uh, That's them. It's people. the celebrity guests who we do not recognize. Yeah, and Fran, Fran also doesn't recognize them. She thinks that it's a teacher at first and then she thinks that they're uh, impersonators. Like a tribute act, yeah. 
but she's criticizing their performance, uh, saying that they're not they're not going all in enough, and also they need like heavy makeup and lighting for it to to read at all. Yeah, I, I think this interaction is fun, but I think it goes on for like thirty to sixty seconds too long. But there's a great moment where Fran talks about how Edie doesn't look at Steve adoringly enough, and then as they're walking away, uh, Steve is like, "I told you, fucking told you, you need to look at me more." It's like they're having a little lovers quarrel. I told you, you have to look at me adoringly. I always look at you adoring. <laughs> I thought that was a really funny bit. Yeah. Because I have to assume their whole shtick is they're, lo- they're a lovingly married singer-songwriter duo. And actually, when you have the walk away, it's a little bit uh, like, the old, like that old couple that Liz Lemon passes uh, as she goes into the Ikea. You know what? I like myself. I have good taste in drapes. I wish I died anywhere, Jima, and never met you. But uh, that's we don't see them again for the rest of the episode, or do we dot, dot, dot? Yes, we do. We'll come back to that. Fran is still sore that she's not playing Canasta. Uh, so when Brighton comes out, Brighton has spent, ever since he joined the Canasta team, has spent a lot of this time saying stereotypically old Jewish mother things. And it's definitely played for laughs. And he, he says he can't play, he doesn't feel well. Oh yeah, I think I'm going through the change. It's going around, the whole room's got it. Yes, our Brighton's finally going through menopause. <laughs> Which at first, like, I didn't even realize it was the changes in like menopause. I thought it was a change in like, you're getting your period. <laughs> he's just hit, he's hit puberty. Yeah. He's just, that's the change. I think I'm going through the change. <laughs> But no, it's the change in menopause, and that's when we get our uh, next reference toward uh, estrogen pills. Yeah, more more hormones. But yeah, Fran immediately sees through Brighton's facade. He's throwing in the towel specifically so that Fran can rejoin the team. Because apparently this was an episode of Gilligan's Island. Apparently this was an episode of Gilligan's Island. They reference a specific episode. Do I know what that episode is? No, I do not. Because I did not watch Gilligan or his island because I grew up in another country. I, I am worried because I feel like people who are into the nanny would oh, also be into Gilligan's Island. Oh, we're going to get so many fucking tweets and There's going to be a lot of people angry at us because we do not know anything. Like, we had the your friend who corrected us and like, gave us chips information. <laughs> thank you for the chips information. Yeah, Henry, thank you so much for texting me like separately on Discord about what we got wrong about chips. I'm really looking forward to you basically single-handedly writing a fucking Wikipedia article about Gilligan's Island. And instead of just sending us the Wikipedia article on Gilligan's Island. I, maybe Henry's the editor of the Gilligan's Island wiki. What would that wiki be called? Gilwikigan's Island. Gilligan's Wiki Island. No. Wick Island. Wick Island. Awful. No. Uh, coconut wiki that's what it'd be called because the professor made technology out of coconut but he didn't make a boat apparently anyway so francis you don't have to you don't have to leave just on my account i I know this is important to you brighton's like actually you're important to me i already told them bitches i quit well miss fine come on if the team needs you i suppose you better get in there are you kidding the way my mother treated me she can come in here on her hands and knees begging i wouldn't go and then yetta comes out and says, you're back on the team, and Fran goes and goodbye. And that's basically the episode. Yeah, that's basically the episode. There's one last little bit, which is the bit that the booklet from Shot Factory referenced. So Niles did not go with them to Atlantic City nope. because... Uh, he feigned illness. Yeah, he feigned illness. Originally, he was excited to go, but then Chester Maffield was like, oh, well, if Fran's going to play, then you have to watch the kids. And so he feigns illness, so he doesn't have to do that. There's a whole scene where he... What what movie is it? It's Risky Business. He slides in 
singing a song in his underwear, using a feather duster as a microphone. Then Cece walks in and catches him, and then Niles makes good on his promise to kill her. Yeah. And that's the episode. It is It is the gif that you have seen many times. Yes. Yeah. And then the, during the credits, we see Stephen Edie playing Canasta with uh, with Yetta and, and, and Sylvia, which I have to assume is either a dream sequence or it is Gracie doing some bullshit. There is a scene at the buffet, which is the only time we see Gracie in this episode. Yeah, like Gracie got mentioned earlier, but she isn't there. I, I wanted to ask, because I, I feel like outside of the context, she's like, oh, well, I guess the, the actress was busy and they couldn't have her like on set the rest of the time. I was like, no, what is Gracie in this universe doing? Why did she need to make everyone go to Atlantic City? Something she needed was in Atlantic City. An infinity stone. That's <laughs> what she needed. I mean, we have like the the Canasta team, Nick Fury's Brighton. What if uh, what if the Flushing Queens are a secret organization whose whole purpose is to try to unseat Gracie from her, her throne of power and restore balance to the universe? Or I was thinking it's some kind of like retooling that they have. Like there is something they are veering toward mu- too much to the I Love Lucy thing. And so that's why she kind of put in a Gilligan's Island correction mm. in order to kind of like steer everyone in a different way. Steer everyone back towards the sitcom universe that she's worked very hard. Maybe she wasn't going to be an active participant and she feels I have to be here because I have to set right it's a quantum leap situation from her perspective, but from everyone else's perspective, she's the evil leaper because she's making everything worse. I don't know enough about quantum leap to dispute you, but... <laughs> well, our next podcast, when we finish the name, we are going to watch all, every episode of Quantum Leap. So. No, no, I, think we are. I want I think nothing to do with no, Quantum No, I think it's going to be great, and I think you're going to love it. Um, no. It's got Scott Bakula in it. No. It's, it's going to be good. Yeah, I only know. Stockwell it, you mean the guy from NCIS? It's got uh, Ernie Hudson in it. It's good. It's good stuff. I don't know who Ernie Hudson is. He's, he's Winston in the fucking Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's the episode. What did you think of this one? It was fine. It was fine. It was like a nothing episode. It's kind of difficult for us to talk about it because it is a it is a very there episode. I feel like this was actually uh like one of, if not the first episodes that I watched on Cozy when we were rewatching, because I didn't remember mm, coming back to this. Yeah, I know you didn't get to it when you were, when you started watching the DVDs when I got you them for Valentine's Day last year because you didn't get to the end of season one before you decided we should do a podcast. Yeah, but uh, this episode was it was very much on autopilot. It wasn't funny often. When it was funny, it was mostly the physical stuff, like you said with Cece. Yeah, but it's also not. It's not horribly offensive like we've had with some of the other ones. Like, yeah, it is a very dated kind yeah. of like stereotyping of like gender stuff and like, oh no, my boy's gonna be gay. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I get that Chester Mafia would kind of like be a shitty dad in that way. Like, yeah, he's shitty. That doesn't necessarily mean that like everything else is shitty because of it. In fairness, we have almost two seasons of Chester Mayfield being a shitty dad, so that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's part of the course. So that is a thing that is fine, but it's also not really that heartfelt of a yeah. concept. Like, we've had more heart in previous episodes this season, and this this didn't feel like... Like, I do like the idea of Chester Mayfield starting off being like, yeah, you'll work on the farm like your brothers, and then realizing that he has a, his son has his own wants and needs and credit cards and keys. Yeah. 
I feel like they kind of, they misfired focusing on Fran on the end. Of yeah. Like, oh, Fran getting to rejoin the team. Yeah. And having Brighton be the one to kind of bow out. Whereas, like, no, yeah. this was something that he was very good at. Let him be on the team. Yeah, I feel like this could have been a very good, like, the, the premise makes room for a very good Chester Mayfield and Brighton episode. Because we've had Brighton and Fran episodes. We've had, we've had a couple of those. That's fine. But we haven't really had a moment... I can't think of any moments, at least. Maybe I'm forgetting something. But there hasn't really been a moment that galvanizes or grows the relationship between Chester Meffield and his son. Like, that hasn't really happened. And I feel like Chester Meffield coming to that realization about his relationship with his father and how that how it's, there's a kind of a, this repeating kind of cycle of abuse and wanting to be supportive for his son, I feel like that was mostly set up so that when Friend comes in pissed off about the Canasta team kicking her off, it's it's about how they've now switched places. And it's more about that joke than it is about that realization. And I get that it's a sitcom, it's the focus kind of needs to be on the jokes. But this is also a show that has that has given us multiple times over the last, you know, almost two seasons, has given us those heartfelt moments. And I feel like this could have been a a bond, something for like Chester Merfield and and Brighton to bond over, to kind of grow their relationship. And that feels like a huge missed opportunity, especially because when they lean on the comedy for this episode, comedy for the most part ain't that good. Yeah. And there's also, I feel like there's still a good comedy setup in that because again, Chester Merfield and Fran have switched places. Now she is the one who is trying to destroy yeah. everything. She would be the one who's like, no, I want everyone to lose. We can't do Canasta anymore because I'm not part of it yeah and i like there would be a lot of humor in that of letting her basically throw out the tantrum and be like the childish one but instead we kind of get a, a nothing yeah. burger and i don't here's the thing i don't mind fran being the center of a story the show is called the nanny so it's going to be about the nanny like i'm i'm perfectly fine with that but this show one of the things that this show excels at is the, the kind of the big impact of the premise, which is how friend changes the family and changes their relationships with each other. And this is, this feels like such a big missed opportunity for Brighton and Maxwell to kind of have been, have been influenced by her instead of any change that they make in this episode is for Fran when it really should be for themselves and their relationship. Yeah. Like he doesn't, Brighton doesn't have any feelings on this. Uh, Chester Meffield, and they he pats his son on the back for like, oh, you did the the good thing of letting someone like this was important to Fran, and you're letting that happen. But this was something that your son was good at and took a, a passion toward, and his passions don't matter. Yeah, and it's also interesting that he he didn't care about his son's passions, and then when he did, I mean, Brighton's what ten, eleven at this point in the show, like. I get kids, like, they're passionate about something and then they forget about it or they don't give a shit about it the next. Very rarely does that happen in the middle of a Pokemon tournament. You know, that happens on the drive home yeah, like, at the earliest. That's the other, like, that is a go-to obvious gag where they do it the after credits thing and he just doesn't give a shit about it anymore. But like, yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the gag that you do. If this show had, had been, like, five years later... I think the joke at the end of the episode was he is now very into cards, but it's Pokemon cards. Now. Like, there's a, I love the idea of a scene of him and Yetta at the end, and they seem to be playing a card game, and then you cut out to the wide shot, and they're playing the Pokemon <laughs> TCG. Like, like that's that's what I would do if I were writing this show now. Yeah. And it's also it's not even a thing like oh, this is a passion that he lost. 
he's there's nothing saying that he lost interest in this. It is just that he knew that Fran was upset. Yeah. And there wasn't even, I'll be honest with you, isn't even that much to show that he had passion. He had an aptitude for it. And he was he was excited about making his dad happy because he was on a team. But just because you're good at something doesn't mean you enjoy it. Yeah, you know? but they never really spend time really piecing that out. So yeah. you're not sure. It's like, oh, is he actually into this? He seems to really enjoy playing the game. So it's something of like, well, does he actually care about this? Or is he just uh, impressing his dad? Because it seems like it is something that he enjoys doing on his own. We don't really get the opportunity to piece those out and also the go-to solution for this rather than like oh it's either uh brighton on the team or it's fran on the team they already had a whole segment where they know that yetta cheats and yeah. is also still losing they set that up and they could very easily just bump yetta off the team be a hilarious concept of it is yetta's team yeah but they gotta bump her because she's the worst player yeah i there's a lot there's there's so many there's so much room for improvement in this episode and the show is more interested in in making jokes which in fairness it should it's a sitcom like it's a sitcom in the 90s but the jokes aren't the jokes aren't working they're not working they're not worth it it's the whole thing just needed to be put back in the oven for a little lady you know like make this make this an episode you do like maybe a little bit later in the season really kind of figure out what you want the episode to be as it is, it's not a bad episode. It's just not particularly good. It's very middle of the road. Yeah, it's middle of the road. And to your points of like, oh, it's not focused on the story, which it shouldn't be because it's not focused on the jokes. All of the uh, options that we have provided have comedic setups. Yeah. Are still funny. I mean, shit, you could do a trilogy of Canasta episodes. There are so many plot points in this episode that you could spin out into a full 20, 25 minutes. You could do a trilogy of episodes about just Canasta. You don't even have to do them back to back. Just like make a note of the ideas and then build them out and maybe have them like, maybe that's like a little narrative arc through a season. I know it's a sitcom. You're not going to do this. It's a sitcom in the 90s. You're not going to do a narrative arc. But like if you wanted to, that's something you could do. Start the season with a Canasta episode of Brighton joining the Canasta team. Have the bit in the middle where... Maxwell has to deal with, well, the first episode is, the first episode would be Maxwell dealing with um, his son wanting to do something that is not necessarily manly. And you make that the Brighton and Maxwell relationship focused episode. Have the second episode focus on Fran being kicked off the team because uh, Gertie is back. And then have the last episode of that trilogy be Brighton realizing actually it's not what he wants to do. And that way you have a series of episodes and you have a through line through the show, which again, is not something the show is going to do in the 90s. It's fine. But yeah, this was fine. There's a lot of good ideas in this episode that don't quite make it to, they, they, it doesn't live up to its potential. I feel like I have a vague memory of this being something that is kind of the background of Brighton playing Canasta later. I don't think that it's something that it ever becomes a focus mm. of an episode again. And people are going to correct, people are absolutely going to correct <laughs> me on this. I have not like seriously wa- rewatched this entire series, so I do not know a lot of this. I'm going in blind or going in blind for something that I have not watched yeah. in uh, 20, 20 years. years. Yeah, we're gonna get texts from my sister because she's watched the whole thing since we started this podcast. <laughs> but I feel like it's something that just gets like mentioned that he like still does that, and that is like what his interaction because it's also yeah. him having a defining uh, uh, relationship with. Yetta and Sylvia. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think keeping Canasta something that Brian is good at and enjoys, maybe is not necessarily passionate about, but having it be something that he is 
good enough at that it becomes the spine of a relationship for the the, the women who will eventually become kind of his step grandmother and great grandmother. I think that's great, but this episode doesn't seem interested in in doing anything with that now. I don't yeah. think it needs to. And it's but it's disappointing because there's a lot of potential here yeah. for something very good, and instead it's just kind of there. Yeah. Well, what are we what are we watching in the next episode? Uh, next episode, we are watching the will. When Maxwell changes his will, Fran assumes he is about to die. Yay! 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 Death! Ah, oh, dead parents. You know me and dead parents. Fucking love it. Love it. Oh, oh I could write a book, a tear stained book. Uh, well, that is the episode we will be watching next time in uh, when we release our next episode in a couple of weeks. But for this episode, thank you so much, dear listener for listening to this particular episode of Out on Her Fanny. If you are enjoying the show, if you like what we do, uh, do please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever it is you're listening to this. Itty bitty podcasts like ours live and die by word of mouth, and we would certainly appreciate yours. Uh, Mandy, where can people find us on uh, the media's social? Yeah, you can find us at Out on Her Fanny on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us on Tumblr, which we do not use. You're not going to find anything there on Fran Drescher's Ahikau. But I do like to mention that we do have that. You can also find us online at oofcast.com. That is O-O-H-F-Cast.com. Again, because we are afraid what would happen if Google knows that we use the word <laughs> fanny. <laughs> and where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Mandy Quesadilla on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Tumblr, uh, TikTok. I don't really use TikTok because TikTok uh, bans everything that I want to post. They don't like them pole dances. Uh, you can find me on social media. I'm Ben Padden on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook. And I'm a Ben Padden on TikTok, where I have rapped occasionally. We're doing in-person things. We're doing in-person things. So assuming this episode goes up in time, on Saturday, June 25th at 10 p.m., we are participating in Red Cloud Comedy. It is a comedy show happening at the Clubhouse in Los Angeles. You can find information on either of our Instagrams. There's also a link to buy tickets. You can find that in uh, my link tree. Link tr.e slash ben Patton. it's five bucks for a ticket you can buy the tickets online doors open at 9 30 show starts at 10 some great comedians on this show it's the second show we've done at this particular venue it is not the first show we've done with some of these comedians there's some really really good people and then on july the first july 1st anime expo eighth is it 8 30 I think it's 8.30, but we're doing Would Senpai Lie to You, which is a gently anime-flavored variant of the BBC comedy panel show, Would I Lie to You? I'm going to be moderating. Mandy's going to be one of the team captains. It's our first time doing this show since the Panini started, so very, very excited about that one. And it starts on July the 1st at 8.30 and runs for an hour. It's going to be good fun. If you're going to be at Anime Expo, we would love to see you there. And do come up to us after the panel to let us know you listen to our shitty little podcast. Am I forgetting anything? No, uh, I just want to say it's a it's a great panel and I love watching every time that I do it with you. And there's a little more terror in your eyes when you learn how good I am at lying. It's, it's gently terrifying. But you know what? I'm not going to tug at that needle. I'm not going to pull at that thread. I'm just going to let it be what it is. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this episode 
of Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I've been Ben. I've been Mandy. And yes, we, we do, do know, know it means, means vagina. vagina.